Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And God didn't bring them out of Egypt to get them out into the desert to destroy them, or get them out of the desert and go through this horrible time, this difficult time of trying, and then finally get them to the edge of the the promised land and bring them in only to have them destroyed by their enemies, the Canaanites, these seven nations that God, remember, had said, I want you to go in and destroy every single one of them, man, woman, child, beast, level the place. And that's hard, again, for us to understand a God of mercy, a God of love, doing something like that. But he had given them 430 years to repent of their sin, at least. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a journey through the book of Joshua. Joshua was a successor of Moses to lead the nation of Israel into the land that God had promised them. Israel was delivered from Egypt's degrading bondage. God speaks through history to give an example of our deliverance from the bondage of sin. The central act of redemption in the New Testament is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The central work of redemption in the Old Testament is the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And now, let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, and follow along with Pastor Rob. If you could, let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua. As you know, we have just finished last week, we finished the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, if you remember, was a second telling of the law that God had given to Moses and to the children of Israel, and, and so now they have uh, they've gotten right to the edge. They were there for quite a while, actually, right to the edge on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River, getting ready to cross over from Moab into the Promised Land, which was on the west side of the Jordan River, right down there at the very northern tip of the Dead Sea, and right across the Jordan River, is a, their first obstacle would be Jericho, and so... There, there, we ended Deuteronomy with Moses finally uh, going home to be with the Lord and Moses uh, inaugurating, if you will, his successor, a man who had been with Moses for a very long time, uh, Joshua, the son of Nun. And uh, Joshua was certainly a qualified brother. <laughs> he was Moses' assistant throughout those desert wanderings and uh, a faithful man a man that God chose to take the people of Israel into the promised land. As you remembered, God told Moses, because of the incident at Kadesh, uh, Meribah Kadesh, because of his disobedience, because of his lack of self-control, in Numbers 20, we recorded, uh, it's recorded for us, that God just 
told Moses to speak to the rock. And this was the second time that this kind of thing happened, where the, the people needed water. And the first time, if you remember, in Exodus 17, they were only two months out of Egypt when they started to complain about water very naturally. But they got angry, and finally God just says, Moses, go strike the rock with the rod. The same rod that you brought the children over from the Red Sea, take that same rod and just strike the rock once. Strike it once. And the type, the pattern was established in that because Christ, who is the rock, who the Bible says he was the rock that followed them in a sense, providing for them. And so Jesus was struck once, right? Once for sins. He doesn't need to be struck again. There's no need for him to be crucified a second time or a third time or a fourth time, once. And so the pattern, the type was very clear, and God wanted Moses to adhere to that. But you remember, about two years after that event, the same thing happened. They were complaining for water. And so Moses says, Moses, just speak to the rock now. And Moses, his anger, one of the things that was just one of his Achilles heels, uh, the, the problems with Moses, everyone has a problem. His problem was anger. He didn't get quite control of it, and it cost him the entry into the promised land. And and he just said, Moses, speak to the rock. And you remember, he lost his temper because he was frustrated with these people who are driving him crazy, disobedient, and always angry, always causing problems with him and Aaron, and always challenging their authority. And so finally, he just gets angry. He loses his cool. He grabs his Louisville slugger grabs his baseball bat, and he goes over there, and he whacks it not just once but twice. And God, in his mercy, remember, brings forth water, but it cost him. He said, Moses, because of this, you have misrepresented me. And God's very concerned about how we represent him. We cannot tarnish his reputation ultimately because, you know, even if all of us were to fail him, and we do, even if all of us were to back away from him and say, Lord, we don't want anything to do with you anymore, He still remains who he is, the God of the universe, almighty in power and love and grace and majesty and and beauty. He doesn't change him, but he wants to change us. He wants to change us. And so we're going to be getting into this book, the book of Joshua. It is the first, if you notice in your, if you have a computer program of some kind like Olive Tree, which I use all the time and I love it, um, you'll notice that sometimes they, they color code these Uh, historical books, a different color, you'll notice that uh, Joshua is the first of 12 historical books in the Old Testament. It begins with Joshua, it ends with Esther, and these are the history of Israel. And so we look at this book, and before we get into it, we have to talk about a couple of things. Number one, who wrote the book? Well, it seems very obvious that the, the, the title of the book would be Joshua, and he's very much the author of this book. Um, there are a few other uh, potentials, uh, authors, at the end, after his death, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But we believe Joshua was the author of this book. And the name is significant, because if you think of Joshua, Joshua is really a contraction of two Hebrew words, Jehovah, Shua, God's salvation. That's what Shua means. Jehovah is God, salvation. Jehovah, Shua, you, you smush the two of those words together, and you get Yeshua, or I'm sorry, uh, Jehoshua, or Joshua, which means God's salvation. And we also know that Jesus' name, when he was running around as a little boy and in, in, uh, in his home there in Nazareth, 
His parents wouldn't call him Jesus. They would call him Joshua. They would call him Joshua. Jesus' name is Joshua. The angel Gabriel told Mary that that would be his name. Why? Because he is God's salvation. He is God's salvation. We have to look to Christ. He is the only way to salvation. There is no other way. There are many ways that people are try to reach God, but Jesus said, narrow is the way, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and everyone is welcome on that. It's an exclusive path, but it's open to everyone. But broad is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, that leads to hell. And many there are that are on that path, doing their own thing, worshiping a Jesus of their own making. And many religions are like that. Well, we believe Jesus was a good man. We believe he was a good teacher. Well, that's not good enough. It's not good enough because, remember when Jesus said, who do, the, who do people say, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He gave the answer, didn't he, in that statement. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You'd be foolish to say, well, just a prophet. Because <laughs> he said, I'm the Son of Man. <laughs> right? So Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the the Son of God, the Messiah. So his name was Jesus. And uh, the Greeks would call him Jesus, but we in our English, we call him Jesus. This name is significant um, because God would um, see the Israelites through the battles and the opposition. He would take them into this place from the east of the Jordan into the promised land that he had been promising them for, for many, many years. Many years. And God didn't bring them out of Egypt to get them out into the desert to destroy them or get them out of the desert and go through this horrible time, this difficult time of trying, and then finally get them to the edge of the, of the, of the, of the promised land and bring them in only to have them destroyed by their enemies, the Canaanites, these seven nations that God, remember, had said, I want you to go in and destroy every single one of them, man, woman, child, beast, level the place. And that's hard, again, for us to understand a God of mercy, a God of love, doing something like that. But he had given them 430 years to repent of their sin, at least. And in fact, there was a time before Moses would lead the people in, God says, it's not yet time because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, God was giving them space to repent. And aren't you glad... And it's kind of unnerving, actually, to think that there's a, there's a time frame that he gives to nations, that he gives to even individuals of running along in their sin, doing the wrong thing, disobeying him. And there's a time where he gives you a space, and it's different for every person. There's no cookie-cutter time frame here. It's all individual to each person. Because we see that throughout, we see that in our own lives, a person could be involved in a sin. They're in only involved in it for a couple months, and God allows them to be exposed, maybe even chastens them sorely and exposes them, and they're embarrassed, and they feel horrible, and they lose their spouse, and whatever. They go, they go through a, a problem. And yet someone else can go on for 10 years, seemingly unnoticed, and all of a sudden the spring snaps, and they're caught in their sin. And it's different. It's a different gauge. And that reminds me that I need to be careful I need to be careful. I need to have a short list. I need to be careful about the things I do. And to always be in a place of saying, God, before I put my head on the pillow, or as I put the head on my pillow at night, saying, Lord, remind me if there is anything today that I've done that has grieved you in any way. And you take that to the cross right then and there and confess it. Even as you do it, confess it. Have you done that? Done something wrong? And immediately afterwards, you know. 
And that's the best and the best time to say, Lord, forgive me. I know what I said. I know what I did was wrong. It was, it was sin. It was this. And label it. Don't, don't be afraid of it. Just label it. Come into agreement with him. That's what confession is. It's not trying to hoodwink him. You can't hoodwink him. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow that's sinful. So try and play hide-and-seek with God. <laughs> it's unfair. So this book of Joshua, it's a record of God's fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And we're just going to look at a few of these really quickly. Promises that God gave to Joshua and the children of Israel, their ancestors, those who had started. And in fact, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, I'm just going to read these to you. We're going to get in a little bit later. But in Genesis chapter 12, God says this to Abraham while he was still in the Ur of the Chaldees, a Gentile, a pagan idolatrous person. The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, Abram, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I love the confidence of God, even though we don't have confidence in ourselves. Thank you. I don't want to have confidence in myself, but I love situations like this where God says, And you will be a blessing. You don't know it now, and you probably don't even, you're not even concerned about it because you don't even know what I'm talking about yet. But remember, God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent. I will make of you a great, great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham departed from the earth of the Chaldees, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possession that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go into the land of Canaan. And here you see, um, and then down in the the same chapter, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this land of Canaan, Abram, Abram. And then later on in Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, and the Lord said to Abram again, he says, After Lot had separated from him, he said to him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. And so here he is in the land of Canaan, as far as his eyes can see in all directions, I've given you this land. And he reiterates the same thing to his son, Isaac, the son of promise. In Genesis chapter 26, beginning right in the first verse, it says, There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform, notice, the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. And then Abraham, you know, Isaac, remember, he has a son, Jacob. And God reiterates the same promise to him in Genesis 28, verse 12. He says, you remember the story of Jacob's ladder? Actually, it's not a story. It's an, a historical event. You know me. I'm not going to go off on that tirade. 
They're not stories. They're events because they really happened. A story is Rapunzel. This stuff is the real stuff. (laughs) So um, then he dreamed, Jacob did, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and it reached the top of heaven, and there he saw the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you, in your, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I love that. So Abraham, he gives the promise. He reiterates it to Isaac. He reiterates it to Jacob. And finally, Jacob, you know, has 12 sons. And one of those sons was Levi. And through his lineage now comes Moses. And even in Moses, chapter 33 in Exodus, beginning in the first verse, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land, notice, which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. You get the idea. The promises. The promises. And also there's internal evidence that this book was written by Joshua. And we're just going to look at a few of them. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 32, it says, There, in the presence of the children of Israel, he, speaking of Joshua, wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And in Joshua, the very last chapter of the book, he goes on, and in that chapter you'll see at least four different times, Joshua said to the people, Joshua said to the people, Joshua said to the people. Now, why do I bring this up and harp on this idea? Because there's so many people today, uh, especially uh, scholars, biblical scholars, and those who are um, anti-Bible, anti—can I say anti-Christ? Maybe. Um, Those who don't love the Lord, the book of Joshua, as well as all the books in the Bible, are always under scrutiny, always under attack. And the authenticity, the authors, all this stuff. And and Joshua is a book that's under scrutiny as well. And so it's important that we look at these things. And you can verify it right in the Bible. These things aren't hard to understand if you just read. But most people who don't know the Bible and are against the Bible don't know anything about it. But yet they'll argue to death that it's not really the Word of God or that it's just some kind of made-up story. That's, That's hogwash. The Bible is God's Word. He put a stamp of approval on every single one of those books. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, most of the books in the Old Testament, and Jesus certainly was seen by eyewitnesses, and they wrote their accounts, and we have them in the Gospels. And we have Paul. So there are many eyewitnesses to the Bible. And Joshua, we, we see that even in Joshua chapter 5, in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 6, we see pronouns used where Joshua would include himself. Let me just give you one example, and we'll move on here. The second, it says on Joshua 5, verse 1, it says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over. Now, little pronouns like that are very important because it's speaking of somebody who was there, Right? Think, read the Bible carefully and look for stuff like that because that will encourage you. And these are little clues that this is not just some story that was handed down and somehow lost through transmission. No, 
None of that nonsense. The Bible is one of the most easily authenticated pieces of, uh, of, of I, I don't even want to say literature, but literary works on the planet. More so than any other book. Someday I'd love to go back and do the uh, inspiration and the um, evidence of, of the scriptures. It was a thing I remember I did many years ago, and maybe I should do it again, because it's really encouraging to, to see just how, what great length God has gone to preserve and to make his word very obvious and very clear in spite of the opposition. So let's, um, and also, uh, there, there's references like in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. Let me just read this to you. It says, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day. Does that sound like somebody who wasn't there? The person who was writing this, does it sound like they were there and that Rahab was alive when he was writing this? You better believe it, because he was. And, so, and also, uh, it speaks of the Jebusites before Jerusalem became inhabited by David and the, and the Jews, it was inhabited by the Jebusites, one of those seven nations that God was going to drive out. And what does it say in Joshua 15, verse 63? It says, And as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Does that sound like, again, like somebody has, this is something passed down through the ages? Does it sound like an eyewitness account? Of course it does. You can read the Bible like that. Read it critically. Read it very carefully because these kinds of things, people try to bamboozle us all the time. Oh, it doesn't really say that. Well, there it does. Sorry. Now, I bring that all up because it is a book under attack, which places this writing of this book around 1406 B.C., somewhere between 1406 until 1385 B.C., because okay, the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt around 1448 B.C., and they were 40 years in the desert, and the book of Joshua starts right where that dovetails off, okay? And so it makes total sense, it makes total sense. Some of the key verses in this book, one of them is actually given in the New Testament, and I love what Paul said to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You might just want to write this down. We're going to look at verses 1 and 11 really quickly because it is pertinent to what we're going to be talking about. But verse 11 is the key, and here it is. Paul speaking to them, to the, the Corinthians, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed him followed them, and that rock was Christ. There it is. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things, notice, were, have, were become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Do you remember what event that was? Exodus 32, when they, made the mo- when they made the golden calf, remember? And so um, Paul here is rehearsing for them in a very shortened version, the history, if you will. And why? Here it is. 
He says, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in and the same day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. But here is the verse. <laughs> now all these things happen. Why? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.